0: He's got one foot in the frying pan and one in the pressure cooker. Believe me, as a bowler, I know that right about now, your bladder feels like an overstuffed vacuum cleaner bag and your butt is kind of like an about-to-explode bratwurst.
1: Hey, do you mind? I wasn't talking when you were bowling. Was I talking out loud?
2: Welcome to Munson's at the Movies. My name is Kyle. I will be your host. I'm here once again with the rest of the Munson's. want to give them a wide berth. He's what is called a born loser. A real monsoon. <laughs> talk a little bit about what's going on in the world. Case, you're up first this week, man. You know, not a whole lot has uh,
1: changed from the, the last week on my end. Just trying to keep moving through. And in Texas, we keep opening things up a little bit more every week.
2: We know you've made a couple trips to the movie theater, and you're still alive, so we're proud of you. I have. I've
1: seen two movies at, at the theater. That's exciting.
2: Don't become a statistic, Case. <laughs> <laughs> living dangerously. Rigby, speaking of living dangerously.
3: Uh no I'm I'm am I am I, am I am I I think I'm living uh much more safely back in Iowa compared to New York. Um, I knew that
2: would fuck you up. So
3: your uh, mom and dad's house ain't dangerous. Mom and dad's house is a thousand times thousand times safer than my shit box apartment. That's for sure. Same deal. Nothing's really changed since since two weeks ago. Things are starting to really open up here. Tomorrow all of the uh, restaurants and bars will be at full capacity again. I think a little too early if I'm being if I'm being honest. Knock on wood, we're still
4: uh about flat, which is a good a good sign. Yeah, could you imagine if corn like was a spreader? You oh, guys would be fucked. <laughs> we'd be screwed.
3: <laughs> corn, if corn and pigs could spread this thing, we would be we'd be screwed. Give uh, it like, time.
0: Give it time. <laughs> give it time, exactly.
2: I don't know if you know, but viruses can mutate. Speaking of mutation, James.
0: Until- so <laughs> Still living in a constant state of fear and anxiety. Only socializing I've done at this point is I went golfing twice. And because of how terrible I am at golf, I was still observing social distancing laws. Other than that, I've been trapped inside my house this whole time.
2: Would you say you were observing social distancing from you and the cup? Uh, No. Me, people, the fairway,
0: the cup, everything involved. I was nowhere (laughs) close to another soul. Don't worry about that.
2: Warren, dad
4: life. Glad to be back. I can't believe it's been like four weeks since you know, last recorded one of these things felt felt like uh, like two days ago you know I, I've actually you know dad life's been great but I've been spending a lot of time outside just mowing the yard <laughs> doing u- uber dad stuff right now and it's really showing my like lack of sports I'm working on patterns in the grass and i even found myself raking mulch like infield dirt the other day for like two hours <laughs> Hell so, yeah. so Hell sh- yeah. shit's getting real shit's getting real here guys <laughs>
2: warren's treating his yard like it's a professional mlb ballpark he's, he's got
4: patterns in the grass i've got cameras all over this place too you
3: are officially frank the tank warren yeah. <laughs> gonna make a nice little trip to home depot this saturday
4: <laughs> I, I don't
2: you know, know if i have time, time. well on my end boys i'm two weeks away from moving to baltimore nice i'm uh yeah i'm what getting ramped up yeah i'm about to sign a uh, contract here probably tonight hopefully Uh, we finally got the adepted contract back but yeah moving out to baltimore and two weeks from tomorrow wait what did you find a job not yet i'm still employed through july 31st but okay been uh finally found a good place on the southwest side of baltimore in, it's in Hail, hailthorpe to hickman no joke you could probably play for the Orioles. you're probably not
4: <laughs>
0: wrong at this point at least throw <laughs> an inning of relief or something you could definitely help
2: out. <laughs> I, I, i've been pitching every weekend man i'm there probably go. going low 80s right now you, you, If you locate that well you might be able to get by right
4: all that said just trey mancini get better that's that's terrible with the cancer i hope he gets better
2: True that life's gonna change a little bit. So my my months in life is gonna get pretty busy over the next two weeks. So the next episode we'll see how much I how much prep I can do. I'll squeeze in as much as I can. <laughs>
4: Birthdays, June eighteenth. Warren, what do we got? This is not a great birthday, <laughs> but for one who uh, it is a birthday, Carol Kane, Oscar nominee, had to put that out there. Uh-huh. Uh, um, she's from Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, The Princess Bride, and
2: the Gerard Butler,
4: Jennifer Anderson classic, The Bounty Hunter.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Eagerly <laughs> anticipating the third one you always drop. Yeah. Carol Kane. <sighs> Someone else go. Ghost of Christmas present in, this, in Scrooge,
4: right? Correct. Her yep. uh, Oscar nominee is from 1975. Oh, boy. Okay, <laughs> that helps. That helps a lot. That <laughs> uh, helps Rigby. He knows exactly who and He's like, oh, go. of
2: course,
3: yeah. <laughs> I don't think I know what movie she was nominated for. She's uh, 68. <laughs> I was going to say 66. Give me 64. Jeez, I think she's older than that. Am I wrong? I, I'm going to go 70. Yeah, you're wrong. She's 68. James Holy Nelson. shit.
2: Oh, nice. Oh. Bitches. Swish, buddy.
3: So if, if she was nominated in 75, Jesus, she's she was young then. Uh-huh. yeah that's pretty impressive Warren if you wouldn't have given us that
1: year I probably would have ended up being off by about twenty years I
4: figure would do a little bit of a favor <laughs> so yeah and that's all the uh, birthdays so happy birthday to Carol that's happy it. birthday everybody else
2: happy birthday all right so we had some we had some actors for this episode to consider the wheel has spoken and although we were considering Amy Adams Brenda fricker bird lady. <laughs> Third lady, Jeff Daniels and James Franco. I, you know, I'm just kind of hoping because I really appreciated John Rigby's impersonation of an Irish accent last week um, to, to see what Brenda Fricker would have done if she, we would have covered her. There's still time. Um, <laughs> but those names, notwithstanding, we are covering Jaimin Hansu. He seems to be pretty popular amongst their online crowd. It's going to be a fun one. I agree. I uh, I liked how James Franco got like little to no love as well as
0: I was, I was like damn. It's like I didn't, I didn't expect people to inadvertently dunk on him like that.
2: Dude, people were all about the Jeff Daniels' life and mm-hmm. no one said a peep about Amy Adams, which was extremely surprising.
0: I know that was my first choice too. That's why I was,
2: I was waiting for you to say something. I was like James, James is usually the well, guy who's all about Amy Adams.
0: I don't want to uh, you know, I don't want to Weigh the polls here, you know, because the wheel decides. That's important. This
2: is true. Jim and Hansu, who so we're covering this week, and James has got some actor trivia. Now let's see if he can stump us.
0: We're going to do two truths and a lie, and one of those lies is going to be a uh, fact about a cast member of the Fast and the Furious franchise. So do with that information what you will. Uh, Kyle's been pretty good at this because he usually finds the same interesting facts that I do online. So I have to work pretty hard to screw him over here. So I'm going to try my best. <laughs> All right. Fact number one. Uh, he's one of 15 actors who's played characters in both the DC and Marvel universe, totaling six different movies. Fact number two. He speaks five different languages. Fact number three. He was homeless from the age of 13 to 18 until he was found by a fashion photographer on the street.
2: I think James is fiddling with some on us on this one. Because I know he speaks a couple languages. I don't know about five, but he could.
0: This is what it's come to. I got I to gotta get tricky.
2: I'm going to say B is the second one. Number two is false. I bet it's like three instead of five.
3: I'm going to
4: say the first one is a lie. The DC and Marvel one. I'm going to say it's also with numbers, and I, I think it's number one as well. I don't think it's 15 people, but he's definitely crossed over and Shazam, Aquaman, and then as Korath. I'm going to say that.
1: Jason Statham is actually the one that knows all the languages, and we just don't realize how linguistically gifted that guy is.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so the one you guys all didn't choose, which is definitely the most specific and awesome fact, um, is that he was homeless from the age of 13 to 18 in France, and he Didn't actually get a steady income until he was spotted by a fashion photographer while he was on the street who asked him if he'd be interested in potentially modeling. And a few years later, his modeling career had taken off and he moved to LA. So that is a pretty inspiring story. He moved up. He was
4: sporting derelict at the time.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Five years on the street is unbelievable. Another fact that is true is he actually does, in fact, speak five different languages. He's originally from uh, Benin, Africa, and they actually have three different dialects that they speak in that country specifically, as it borders kind of on the Congo as well. And then on top of that, he speaks English and French. And he actually is one of 15 actors who's been in both DC and Marvel uh, movies. But instead of six movies, he's actually only been in five. Called it. Idris Elba's actually been in six, and he is the star of Fast and the Furious Presents Hobbs and Shaw. <laughs> nice.
4: <laughs> nice. Nice. Hem- Hemdell, yeah. Good call.
0: Another interesting fact, I found that super cool, but there was just no way you would ever think this wasn't true. The country he's from, Benin, in Africa, is the birthplace of voodoo. Jaiman Huntsu didn't figure out until he was actually doing research for a documentary that his name translates to Strong Blood Born in the Shrine of Voodoo. He figured that out What two years ago while he was doing a documentary. I can't think of like a more direct tie to voodoo than that. It's such a badass name.
2: That's so cool, man. Yeah. Awesome. Great research, James. Case snapshot box office history. Tell us about his impact there. I
1: have 18 movies that I listed and nine of them have budgets that are over a hundred million. And that shocked me. Here are the two that stood out to me that, that really surprised me. And I guess watching them and thinking about them, I didn't think they would be $100 million budgets. The first one is Gladiator.
2: Uh-huh.
1: But as I thought about it, do you guys think that's probably a visual effects thing?
0: Yeah, the yeah. CGI yeah. of Rome. That, was, that Rome. was back when CGI just had like an endless price tag
4: on it because no one knew what they were doing. Yeah, they, they weren't allowed to film in the Coliseum.
2: <laughs> <laughs> couldn't get that permit,
4: you know. They couldn't
1: get the permit, that's right. The other one that surprised me was Blood Diamond
0: and that was a hundred million dollar budget movie I could see that because of uh, all the action scenes that are like massive action scenes they're not just like intimate it's like thousand people war scenes and that's kind of what I was thinking too right James but it, those you know
1: that's really the only thing that stands out you know in his box office because you know he's in he's in some massive movies but you know they're not surprising anybody I mean nobody's surprised that. Guardians of the Galaxy profited $603 million.
0: The Marvel movies have ruined how we look at box office for other movies at this point. Now it's like if a movie doesn't make like $200 million, I'm like, wow, that's a failure. But that's just because Marvel's like tainted our views.
2: Before we get into his film and TV career, James... Offered up some really good context for how we got to start, being homeless, living in France, not knowing English, moving to LA, and getting his start there. Before he got into film and television, he was in a bunch of music videos. So he was in music videos for Paul Abdul, Madonna, Janet Jackson, and Vogue. So if you dig those out, those music videos out of the vault of YouTube, and you look hard enough, you're going to find Jiman in some of those videos. And he talks about that a lot in his uh, his interviews that he does on the circuits. He really hit the scene in the film and TV side in 1990. Between '90 90 and '96, he was in a lot of smaller projects. He was in movies like Without You, I'm Nothing, Unlock Entry, Killing Zoe, Stargate. Stargate's not a small movie, but small part, and in a variety of video shorts. It wasn't until 1997 that he got his first big film break. And that is the movie Amistad, and Warren is going to take us through this one.
4: Jaimin did Amistad and another movie, Il Gotten Gains, uh, in the same year, and both are centered on the like slave trade. I do believe Il Gotten Gains came out before Amistad did, but. Amosaz just got a lot more name recognition. Uh, it's a Spielberg movie. He filmed that one in between Jurassic Park, Lost World, and Saving Private Ryan. So, a lot on his plate. And uh, 77 critics, 79 audience. So, really close. But it being a 1997 movie, uh, it only has 60 critic rankings on it and over 51,000 audience. The audience is definitely more accurate. Star studded cast. Jaiman Hansu, I think he kills it in the movie. Uh, He's not even like the top build on it, but you got Matthew McConaughey, Morgan Freeman, Anthony Hopkins, who was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Supporting for like five minutes, and four minutes of it is like one speech, but it's a good speech. Stellan Skarsgård's in it. Chiwetel Ejiofor makes an appearance as a 19-year-old, his first movie. Wow. No kidding. Spielberg picked him out. He is a like an ensign in the Navy, who is the translator between the Mende tribe and Matthew McConaughey and everybody else. So it was really cool seeing him and just kind of like how he his career has evolved. And he'll be an awesome one to eventually do. Uh, I watched the movie earlier today, and I really can't think of uh, a better time for this to be my first viewing of the movie. So the story it centers on a group of Africans from the Mende tribe in like Sierra Leone. They're taken from their homes and transported to Cuba uh, on a boat called the La Amistad. Jaiman, his character, uh, Sinque, gets out of his bonds. He un- unlocks all the other chains, and they. They uh, mutiny. They take over the vessel. It was a Spanish ship, and they were trying to get them to take them back to Africa, and they ended up steering the ship alongside the eastern U.S. And the U.S. Navy commandeers the vessel because they believe it's a bunch of slaves who had basically mutinied, and they had to like go back. But there's a law that the slave trade is no longer legal. And so the only slaves in the U.S. are born slaves. The whole thing becomes this court drama where Matthew McConaughey is working with Morgan Freeman and Stellan Skarsgård, who are abolitionists. And they're trying to prove that they are free people and therefore are not slaves or property of anybody else. Anthony Hopkins plays John Quincy Adams. The whole thing. I mean, there's a lot of history in it, and it's crazy to go back and read the actual story on it and the court case. And so, the initial court case is all these people are like, oh, these are they're, they're, these guys are my property. These guys are this. It, it finally gets decided in the court that they are not property and they're free. And then politicians step in because they're afraid that. They're going to lose the presidency because the South would be pissed if you were to free slaves. There's a lot of creepy parallels to uh, like current events, and like it's unbelievable that like I know this was '97, so you're still at that time. You're like five years after uh, Rodney King stuff, but you're still like this is 23 years ago. It couldn't be any more. Important to watch now. I think when it came out, I don't think the US is ready for this movie. You can hear all you want on US history, but there's some of the graphic scenes in the movie. It's pretty raw. I was un- unbelievable. I was like sick to my stomach. Yeah, you know, they just say, oh, it was miserable. People were stacked on top of each other. And sure, they show that, but they don't show chaining people together and tying them to a bunch of rocks and throwing them off because they don't have enough food or women with their newborn babies just jumping off to not have to deal with it anymore. I mean, it is terrible. Terrible, terrible, terrible. Some of the critics, like with the 77, some of them have some valid points when they gave it some lower scores. They're upset on how it's almost been whitewashed to a point where the attention is off the Mende people, but how the lawyers and political figures are trying to justify, you know, their actions and stuff like that. And so I, I can see that, but I think in some of the pivotal scenes with like Anthony Hopkins' soliloquy at the end, which kind of pushes everything over the top. Listening to what he says is, you know, a very timeless speech. Like you could play that at any point in, in history, it's gonna be true. I think they could have paid, you know, a little bit more attention to like the Midday tribe and all those people. I was really blown away by the movie. I, I really enjoyed it. I think aside from some camera work here or there, but I mean, it was 23 years ago, and I think if the movie came out today, I think it's instant Oscar quality for everything, and this was only nominated for four. One was for Anthony Hopkins, one was for John Williams doing music, and two other ones. I think it was way ahead of its time.
2: He got a Golden Globe nom for his role in the movie, so he did get some love. He was incredible. I mean, he
4: was speaking the various, like, Benin dialects through it, and very little of it was subtitled, and it was done. It was done through an interpreter, which was, uh, you know, of4. That was the only way that you could really tell what he was doing. Everything else had to be just like his emotion, his his posture, like all of this stuff. And so he was. I mean, he bas- he basically said three words that you could understand the entire movie, and he was still far and away the most passionate. Person you cared about in the entire movie. I mean, he. There was tears. There were smiles. There was anger. There was violence. It was everything. He did it all. It, it was for him. It was incredible, and it it pisses me off that Hopkins got the the nomination for it because <laughs> like he had such a a small part. Any recognition in that movie should have came from uh, Jaimon. I think part of what plays into that is you know there's very much
0: a political side to the Academy Awards where they need very rarely are they going to give it to a newcomer and with this being Diamond's like first major role him happening happening to steal the scene is going to get overshadowed by the historically loved and classic actor Anthony Hopkins so it's like wow yeah that new guy's really good but this is Anthony Hopkins right and so that's like the move they made here
4: it was the most watched Oscars that year that was Titanic that was as good as it gets
0: it LA was confidential. good
4: goodwill hunting la confidential that's so yeah yep they had to throw out their best bet to get mm-hmm. to get anything and that that's really unfortunate because I mean, it, it, he was incredible in it
2: and I think it's important to know with ill-gotten gains and amistad you know two early roles but two big roles for him and he's built a career as this as an anti-slavery humanitarian I and mean, a lot of it comes from his work on those films and we'll mention here in a minute uh he was a narrator for a project called the middle passage and so he's continued to do work there gives you an idea of what he what he's has been doing off the screen too that it wasn't just a role it's something he's passionate about yeah 98 to 2002 um he was in deep rising as vivo modern day pirates try to Rob a
3: cruise ship, and turns out the cruise ship is being stalked by like a underwater creature. Uh, and and uh, Jiman plays one of the pirates who tries to rob the cruise ship.
2: Between ninety nine and two thousand, he did some TV work. He was on ER. He was on one episode of The Wild Thornberrys. Two thousand, we hit Gladiator, and his role is Juba, which was a m- huge movie and is definitely one of the the roles that are is most associated with him as an actor.
0: This is one of those movies that. I don't know if I've ever heard anyone or met anyone who says, I don't like Gladiator, right? It's every person I've ever met is like, oh, that's like the movie that doesn't matter where it is when it's on TV, I'm watching to the end of it.
4: Guys, guess what? Oh no. I oh, like no. this. I like this movie.
0: Oh my <laughs> god. <goodness. Yeah. laughs> I'm gonna be so great, upset.
4: <laughs> but this is bullshit. This movie has 70 77% on Rotten Tomatoes. 77 do how. I don't understand how.
2: Are you not entertained? It's Somebody great.
4: probably came back, like, in the later was like, Russell Crowe did some dumb shit, and so I don't like it anymore. Similar to the previous role, he is um, a slave that's being
0: sold, and he's Russell Crowe's, like, right-hand man, and they, like, immediately kind of bond in the fact that both of them know how to fight, and they can kind of fight their way out of this. Um, but he's, like, the more calming presence where Russell Crowe is the hothead of this, and so it's a... Interesting to see him take that position when in Amistad, he's super emotional. and this one, he's a little bit more reserved.
2: 2002, he's in Dead Weight. And also in 'O two, he's in a movie called The Four Feathers. He plays Abu Fatma. It's a Heath Ledger project. And he plays a huge role in that movie. And so I think just important to note, early in his career like this, there were some big-time actors. Uh, he plays kind of like a, lo- a local tribal leader who is helping Heath Ledger's character who is a defector from the British army to essentially avenge the situation. Um, he plays a pretty big role in that. And I was I was surprised. I thought it was just going to be a minor role considering some of the others earlier on in his career. Also in O2, we're going to hit a little bit of a Munson's choice. So for context, Rigby was supposed to cover Largest Critic Gap, and unfortunately the movies that qualified for that were all, he's pretty small role in a lot of those. Um, so we gave Rigby the opportunity to, Pick a movie, and he decided to pick uh, In America, which is a movie that he was nominated for an Oscar for. I believe it was his
3: first Oscar nomination of two.
2: In America, you know, I had heard about this
3: movie uh, years ago. I had never seen it, but it's a 2003 movie from writer-director Jim Sheridan, whose – his other previous movies uh, are featured – both featured Daniel Day-Lewis, My Left Foot and In the Name of the Father. So if you guys have seen that, if you've seen those, you know they're both – Irish, emotional, mm-hmm. you know, uh, melodramatic type movies. And this is kind of the same way, but this one, this one was a delight. I'm really glad I got to watch it. The film revolves around the Sullivan family. Uh, they're a family of four who immigrate from Ireland to New York in the early 2000s. Uh, some reviews I read said that it took place in the early 80s, which I don't think it did because. There were camcorders, there were cars that didn't look look like the 80s. Um, The clothing was the 80s, but they never say the time period, but I just assumed it was the early 2000s. Anyway, the film is narrated by the oldest Sullivan daughter. There's two daughters, uh, a wife and a a husband in the family. Right away, the plot feels pretty similar because there's countless amounts of movies where immigrants you know, immigrate to the United States and they try to find a better life and they have a hard time doing it. When I turned the on, I was like, oh my God, this is just another. Those you know movies that I've seen probably a hundred times. Um, the reason why this one is different is because the acting feels so real, mm-hmm. and the two performances that are awesome—I guess the three performances—the two daughters are both sisters in real life. Oh, I didn't know that. Their acting did not feel like acting; it was very, very natural. They are, you know, uh, a shining light in the movie that helped make it feel so real. The plot of the movie is basically this family immigrates to the United States. They move into this dumpy apartment in Hell's Kitchen Manhattan, which is where I used to live as of a month ago. While they're moving in, they hear uh, screaming from an apartment below them that turns out to be the apartment of Mateo, played by Jimon. Jimon plays this character named Mateo, and he is introduced as a deranged, uh, intense artist who paints these elaborate paintings in in his apartment. And when he messes up, he screams uh, throughout the day and night, and it scares the whole apartment building. Um, there's even a pointed sign or a painted sign on his door that says uh, keep away. So right away, you kind of see him as this commanding character who no one really wants to mess with. Um, eventually a few months go by and you see the Sullivan family through trials and tribulations uh, eventually start to like their time in New York. You know, they're poor, they steal air conditioners off the streets. It's very similar sort of themes to what you see in a lot of great movies on Halloween night. The two daughters go to play trick-or-treat on Mateo's door. There is where we meet the real Mateo. His character started out as a brutal, intense-like figure that we are usually used to seeing Jimon play. Sort of a no-nonsense, big, tough guy in a lot of movies before this. But when we meet him, for the first time, he immediately becomes endearing and sentimental. And he devotes his time and attention to the Sullivan family. I personally love this role for John because, as I mentioned, this, I think, was so different than what we're used to seeing him in movies. From Amistad to Gladiator, he played a guy who, you know, he played he played a slave. He played someone with a rough life. He played someone who didn't, didn't have a lot of emotions other than just being filled with rage and filled with a lot of turmoil, which makes sense, obviously, from, coming from a slave standpoint. He showed off a lot of range in this. There's some great scenes of him and the family particular Johnny who plays the father of the family where they really get, there's a scene where Johnny thinks that um, he's having an affair that Matteo's having an affair with Johnny's wife. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's super intense. There's a twist in the movie. Um, I guess d- during the middle of the film, it, it, you find out that Mateo is HIV positive, but that only seems to get him closer to the Sullivan family. And in most movies you would think or in real life, you would think that would, if you find out someone you know is HIV positive, you would, you know, an apartment tenant that you would probably want to stay away from because you would just be scared of them. I think that's a natural human reaction, especially during whatever time period this was, where that was like the fear mongering that was going on at the planet. right, right. And the cool thing about this movie is that it doesn't draw them apart; it draws them actually closer. Mm-hmm. And in the end, he's really the hero of the movie because he passes away from from HIV in the movie, but he he donates a huge. Um, uh, trust fund that he's been sitting on um, that is unknown to the viewer of the movie throughout the movie so far um, and in the last 10 minutes it's revealed that he's been sitting on this huge trust fund and he re- and he gives it to the Sullivan family to live the rest of their life So, kind of spoiler alert dick <laughs>
2: <laughs> comes with the territory I thought we were okay
3: giving that one away just because it's really cool it's a really cool movie and I think critics saw that because he was nominated for, uh, best supporting actor for this role as I mentioned He's probably in about 5 to 6 long scenes and half of those he brings raw emotion. He cries in it, he yells. I mean, it's really it's a really really good performance. Something I was not really expecting of him. And so, um he's the brightest spot of the movie. I love the movie. I thought it was a really delightful f- film to watch. I uh, loved his performance and I was very fortunate to be able to watch it.
4: You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
3: You're,
2: you're welcome for the permission to watch that.
0: I echo your sentiments on it. I've never seen it before, but for this podcast, I watched it. And um, initially when it started, I kind of rolled my eyes because I was like, oh my God, I've heard, I've seen this kind of cliche, trying to make it an America story before. And I was afraid it was going to kind of hit me over the head with whatever narrative it was about to use. And it's not that at all. It was like, no, it's not very refreshing how subtle it is it's trying to get across um and kind of how nuanced they are because it's not like if you try your hardest and do this you could succeed like that's not at all what this american dream is and
3: um it was cool to see by the end of the movie they had learned to take their uh their tough going in stride basically which i think mm-hmm. is which i think is their, their american way you know obviously nothing's ever you're never going to be perfect you gotta you gotta roll with the punches you gotta Keep getting back up and and um, pull yourself up. And I thought that, I thought that was the overall theme of the movie. And it was funny. I mean, the daughters are hilarious in it. I like how the daughters are kind of oblivious to how dire the situation is. They so are, like, which is why
0: I think that brings a comedic effect to it. Especially since it's like the narrative narrator's point of view, and like you're seeing this family like just holding on. And the daughters right. like, and the apartment was really hot, and the dad's about to have a mental breakdown if they don't yep. get an air conditioner or something.
2: Right, between 2003 and 2011, he's busy, so we're going to fire through these. Um, first and foremost, Biker Boys plays a character named Motherland. Oh, boy. Yeah, uh,
3: Biker <laughs> Boys, oh, man. It had, it had such potential because it came out you know a few years after Fast and Furious, and I think that's probably why they made it, because they saw how successful Fast and Furious was. Uh, but it's a clunky movie. The acting is bad. You know, I love Lawrence Fishburne. I like Derek Luke a lot, too. I wasn't into it at all.
1: watched this movie once, and I actually thought it was a parody. And I wasn't in the mood to watch a parody at that moment. So the next time I saw it on, I tuned into it. I was very excited to watch a comedy about a biker gang. And I found out that this movie was trying to be serious.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so is When it, are the jokes coming? How does it when compare to Wild <laughs> Hog? <laughs> <laughs> Way less
3: Travolta. It described itself as a Western biker gang movie.
2: He was in the original Lara Tomb Raider, The Creative Life in 03. He was in a movie called Renegade in 04. And I mention this particular film because he is in a grand total of two scenes. He gets scalped by some of the Native American folk Jeez. that are in the movie. yeah. But he's legitimately in two scenes. But when you watch the movie, the opening credits, he's the second name that's listed. So he is just there for star power. That's it. Yeah, they're just trying to drive people to watch the movie. That's interesting that this early in his career, 2004... He's in a purely cosmetic role at this point in time, just to put his name on the opening credits. I think it's important to point that out early mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. He's in three episodes of the show Alias, and then he's in Constantine as character Midnight.
0: Constantine was the, and I know this sounds blasphemous at this point with how his career's kind of revitalized. This is when I just started completely roasting Keanu Reeves. Um, because this movie asked him to show no emotion at all the entire time and thought that that was like a plot device Mm -hmm. based on
4: the graphic novel character. Like it is a very, no, no emotion, just like a huge cynic, but he's got all these like biblical ties and all that stuff. So I guess he kind of nailed that part. (laughs) <laughs> um, you know, it probably would have been cooler to see somebody else in that role probably could have taken it up and over I thought Jiman did a good job in his role as Midnight kind of a,
1: a voodoo witch doctor who mm-hmm. pre- plays a pretty pivotal role in the plot of the movie and, and he, he was really good in it
2: that's what I like to hear and it connects to what we talked about with his name so that's yeah. good yeah. 05 he's in Beauty Shop also no 05 he's in the Michael Bay epic The Island as Albert Laurent I had seen this probably a decade ago if not longer. And I rewatched it for the podcast. And let me tell you, five seconds in, you know, it's a Michael Bay film, the bright neon lights. I feel like there was an explosion in the opening credits. He's pretty good in this. I mean, he does. He's kind of a hes a mercenary that's hired to secure uh, Scar Joe and Ewan McGregor. And he has like a turn. The turn that he has is very, I think part of the criticism of the movie is that all of a sudden he becomes their defenders instead of the mercenary. And there's not a lot that is set, that allows that to happen naturally. I think he does a pretty good job in in that role itself. But that also leads into Blood Diamond, his character Solomon Vandy, which was his other Oscar nomination, which is probably the biggest role I think people associate with him.
0: I just watched this for the first time for this podcast. after uh, When this movie first came out, again, this was a time period in which when something looked like it was kind of Oscar bait, my brain would say, Well, that's going to be boring. I don't want to be taught a lesson for two hours and I wouldn't watch it. <laughs> and so I finally watched this movie. And I think his performance was by far the standout performance in this movie. I think there are some scenes that are unnecessary and run a little long or uh, don't really move the plot along. But every time that he's on screen, he takes it from like this action movie to like a. True drama for every scene that he's in. He humanizes the situation and then it gets back to like a big action movie. He was nominated for that, along with DiCaprio.
4: That movie had a huge audience disparity. A 90% audience and 63 critic.
0: Oh wait, he's Never Back Down. When we talk about Serenity later, Serenity is a bad movie. Never Back Down is a bad movie that's it's good fun to watch. Absolutely. It's fun. <laughs> Never back down is Karate Kid if it took place in the OC, <laughs> <laughs> and instead of karate, they just did like mixed martial arts. And you don't really need much more of a plot than that. Jaimon plays the um, Mr. Miyagi role here and is the guy who trains the protagonist to becoming a better fighter. But the standout star of this, I com- and I still don't even know this dude's name. Cam, yeah, Cam, Cam the bad guy. Cam,
2: that's a G- good bad guy. Yeah. He was. I think Dude, he, he, he does a really good bad job. Guy.
0: This movie's so corny, and then every time he's on screen, you're like, but I hate that fucking guy. <laughs> <laughs> I hate
2: that guy. <laughs> no, I hope he does he a kicks
0: good the job.
4: Cam was in the OC, so that makes perfect sense.
2: <laughs> what makes sense why he was casting that? Push. He plays Henry Carver, 2009. Yeah.
4: Push uh, came after Fantastic Four. It was Chris Evans kind of going in between. Marvel properties, but he was playing uh, kind of like these people. Him and Dakota Fanning have these superpowers, and they're being pursued by the government, and Jimen plays kind of the bad guy in it, and he wants to use the powers to uh, with, like, a serum to create super soldiers.
2: A little bit of a prelude to some of his other Marvel work, he was in the animated miniseries of Black Panther as T'Challa.
4: And kind of continuing off of what I mentioned with uh, Fantastic Four, So after the second one, the director was thinking about doing a third one and wanted to bring Jaiman in as Black Panther in the Marvel Universe then. Good thing he didn't because this Fantastic Four movie is fucking blue and (laughs) the newest iteration of it fucking blue. They've never and, been here. and Chadwick Boseman's fucking awesome as Black Panther, and so I'm glad they got him in when they did.
2: And then finally, uh, he's in a movie called Elf White. I'm not going to recommend that people go see it, but he plays a sniper in what I would call an off-brand Taken or You Were Never Really Here. I know, Rigby, you're not a huge fan of You Were Never Really Here. I think you just need to rewatch it. But um, it's a similar concept as the sniper assassin who's trying to avenge a bunch of girls who were taken into the sex slavery trade.
1: Hey, what if I wanted to hear Kevin Bacon do an Australian accent?
2: Oh my god. (laughs) Yeah, his accent in that movie is so (laughs) over-the-top awful, dude. It's terrible. That sounds awesome. You did Hollow Man. What are you doing with your life? But that brings us to 2011, his lowest critic score. So, uh, 2011 was just a a rough year for him in terms of films. Um, He was in a movie called Special Forces, which is a French film. It's got a 6.4 Jesus. Audience 37, critic on IMDb, and on Rotten Tomatoes it's a 52 audience, 15 critics. So oh, on Rotten it. Tomatoes it's it's bad. So it's a French film directed by a guy named Stefan ribajad You guys ever heard of him? No, nope. no, you haven't. Because he's directed a 52 minute TV movie and one episode of a show. That's he's mostly a producer.
0: Whose nephew is he that he was able to get Jaiman Hasu to star in his one movie? You know, like well, he's related to somebody who but functions.
2: but he's not even really the biggest actor at the time. I would contend Diane Kruger was probably the bigger actor at the time in this one because it's got two actors from Inglorious Bastards. It's got Diane Kruger and it has Dennis Menaché, he played the guy uh, who owned the farmhouse in Inglorious Bastards. Oh, so yeah, you, the, you know beginning, the beginning, the beginning, yeah,
4: Dennis the Menaché.
2: <laughs> yeah, <it's the laughs>
4: I'm um, working on my dad jokes <laughs>
2: <laughs> you're excelling my friend yeah. um, I don't know, the, the movie is just extremely infuriating from the start uh, Kruger plays this character named Elsa, she's a French journalist who is in Pakistan she's either in Pakistan or Afghanistan she's covering the Taliban essentially and she's doing a story on a woman named Mina who was sold to a man while she was a child when she was 12 the woman goes to meet with her and is like yeah the Taliban found out about me telling this story so we can't do this anymore she shows her face and she's like yo what are you doing showing your face she's like pretty much like I'm gonna die soon so I just want you to see me and Elsa you would think she's in war-torn area in Taliban territory as soon as her story is it's pretty clear that she's going to be taken out you would think hey it's time to leave you know I'm probably in some physical danger, some physical jeopardy. The other journalist she's with, Eamon, is like, yeah, you need to leave. And she's, no, I can't leave her alone. I'm an idiot. I'm a dumbass. I'm going to stay here and try to help her. And, uh, not surprisingly, she gets kidnapped by the Taliban because of the hit pieces that she's written about them over the years. Who could have seen that coming? No, no one could have saw this coming at all. And by the way, there's no character development at all. They give you no background on these special forces, which is led by uh, Jaiman. They, they essentially are trying to exploit her to get on camera and, you know, the usual Taliban thing that they do, right? the french government decided to send in these special forces which are six soldiers led by commander Kovacs which is Jaiman they stumble upon her they get in there they take her but then their escape plan is thwarted their choppers can't come in and get take them out so the the rest of the movie is them essentially trying to get away from all these forces and this Taliban leader who is his ego's all hurt and uh, is trying to track them down even through the winter all you need to know is there's a ton of death in this one i mean I think the reason the critic score is so low is because death is cared so meaningless. It's one of those movies, too, where like the six of them c- kill like 50 people each and until they finally take a bullet in the arm that just scrapes them. You know, one of those kind of action films you're <laughs> like, this isn't possible. These are well-trained dudes. I get it. But this the dude who's a sniper is just running maybe 75 feet in front of them, in front of 25 guys who are all shooting. And they're just whizzing past his legs, and the dude would turn around every five seconds and take out three guys. He's that good. I guess. Maybe That's I'm a skill. I maybe I just don't have have it. It's <laughs> got some cool, like aerial camera shots, but the challenge is: diamond's wasted. He's good in the character, but you know nothing about his story. You know nothing about his life. So nothing inspires you. Nothing gives you any emotional weight to the film. All you know is that. He had a birthday because they are having a birthday party, and he's got some significant other. You don't know names. You know nothing else. <laughs> it's just the, the screenplay is is just crappy, and the, his performance is wasted, and he's the only soldier who doesn't get shot. And at the end of the movie, a random rock slide pins his leg against a, a hill, and he gets stuck there. And that's that, the start
4: of 127
2: hours. I was going to say, <laughs> it's, like it's the
0: prequel to 127
2: So, I'm hating it. As I continue watching, I get to the third act, I'm hating it even more. And she eventually gets away, escapes, they get left behind because one dude gets shot in the leg, and Jaiman's leg is all fucked up. And she ends up finding the the French forces, they come back and fly and they find them laying on the, the hill alive. So, like, that's the payoff you get when it's all said and done with a few artificial tears. So it's not a good movie. The critic score is well warranted. I'd probably give it in like the thirty-five to forty range. It's not the worst movie I've ever seen, but it certainly isn't worth the audience score in the fifties and sixties that's special forces before we get the highest critic score between 2013 and 2014 he's in baggage clan and he also plays drago in how to train your dragon 2 um, and if you've seen how to train your dragon 2 drago's the heavy in that one the bad guy i didn't realize it was him playing the voice actor but once i looked into it, i was like yeah that, that character was pretty good in the movie so some voice acting work that he did um, but that leads us to his highest critic score which is guardians of the Galaxy. 2014 and james has got this one
0: guardians of the galaxy is one of the better marvel movies i would say most people you speak to will say that of the 23 that have come out this one is in their top four i think that's a fair say uh after that i'll probably get to preference um but quick synopsis on it is Chris Pratt's character, his name's uh, Peter Quill, he gets kidnapped when he's like eight years, maybe 10 years old by aliens. And he is now, you know, traveling the galaxy and kind of salvaging anything he can find or steal to just pawn for money. So he kind of just comes across like a dumpy kind of criminal. Um, He eventually comes across this random orb that he doesn't really know what it is, but uh, finds out pretty quickly that it's highly desired by multiple uh, super-villains. One of them is Karath, which is played by uh, Jaiman, and then Ronan and Thanos, who are all tied into the other Marvel universe. And what they want is they want to somehow use this orb to commit genocide on like a global, universal level. When they end up stealing it from Pratt, he partners up with a group of space criminals to save the galaxy. That is like the basic level of synopsis. What I would say actually makes this movie great, though, is that At this time, like superhero movies were really trying to like up the emotional stakes and the seriousness of the consequences of each movie. This movie went the complete other way. It told the viewers, like, yeah, if if these guys don't succeed, like, the galaxy's gonna explode. But then it was just like a hysterical tale of like, misfits kind of roach uh, roasting each other as they bumble through multiple like failed attempts to be heroes mm-hmm. it's truly like one of the best marvel movies uh out of all of them and uh it doesn't have a single household like superhero name in it like there's no spider-man there's no captain america like i had no idea who star was it's nonstop fun from start to finish and one of the examples that cracks me up is the opening scene with chris pratt's character and Jimen's character jimin is like a classic supervillain where it's like oh he's superhuman strength stamina durability and he looks like military essentially you know he's got the look the aggressive stern no joking around all these henchmen and um he arrests chris pratt and chris pratt's trying to like explain and talk his way out of being arrested and he's like well you know you might recognize me by my uh nickname and he's and he's like, uh, people call me Star-Lord, and the way Jaimon hits him with like such a condescending, like, who is so, like, <laughs> like <laughs> it, it takes the seriousness out of the situation completely, and Pratt's, like, embarrassed, he's like, come on, man, like, Star-Lord, man. And it really sets the tone for the movie that it's, like, it's serious, but still funny, and that plays out throughout the entire movie. I was happy to rewatch it for this podcast, um, and Jemaine, I think, is great for playing the serious, stern tone, but the one-liners they give him to just like take the piss out of Chris Pratt's character is
4: hysterical, and one of the best soundtracks of any movie ever.
2: Oh, no question, no question. James Gunn said he already selected the soundtrack for the next one. I really wish in this
4: one with his role of Korath, I wish they hit more on like what his powers were, to, and they they touch on it a little bit in like Captain Marvel, uh, but he's still got such a minimal role, but. He's got the ability to like track people, and with his like psionic powers. So his, his name is Korath the Pursuer, which makes sense for him to be like a bounty hunter. Mm-hmm. And I wish they kind of ta- like talked about him a little bit more because I think him along with Ronan who keeps like popping up. I know it'll come up eventually in the future show, but you know, they could definitely have gone in a little bit more on him. I would have loved to see him in this a little bit more.
2: 2014 to 2017, he's in the. Uh seventh son is radu as we kind of continue down the the path here he's he entered the fast and the furious universe in furious seven i mean have you made it in hollywood if you haven't been in a fast and furious movie some would say i don't it's know it's
0: easier to probably
3: just work backwards it's like who hasn't been in any of these
0: yeah.
2: movies at this point i
3: feel like if you have a body fat index less than like five percent you should be Fast and the Furious, one hundred percent.
2: And I think it speaks to his box office success is that he he's in a ton of Marvel and DC projects, and he's in the Furious side, which are big money making projects, right? Mm-hmm. He's in the Vatican Tapes, Air, The Legend of Tarzan. He's in season two of Wayward Pines, and he's in King Arthur: Legend of the Sword uh, as Bedivere. All of that takes us to 2017, where he is in a movie called Same Kind of Different as Me, that is currently available on Netflix. Mm-hmm. In case says this one,
1: I have never heard of this movie before this podcast. So it was it was one of those movies or some of those projects that I'm fond of this podcast because we get to learn about some stuff that you know we're never we're never exposed to before. The same kind of different as me is based on the the inspiring true story of international art dealer Ron Hall, who's played by Greg Kinnear. Ron Hall is actually who wrote this story and the screenplay. And it was a book that was published in 2006 and uh, was a New York Times bestseller. In the movie, Ron Hall and his wife, Debbie, played by Renee Zellweger, who, by the way, I had no idea that was Renee Zellweger until I looked it up on IMDb. Ron and and Debbie begin having marital problems. In order to save their marriage, he agrees to work with Debbie at this homeless shelter in Fort Worth, Texas. It's there where where we meet Denver Moore, played by Jim Hunsu. Denver's a violent, unstable, and dangerous member of the mission community, and everyone there is afraid of him, except for Debbie. You know, at this point of the movie, you guys, I was really concerned that it was going to be that, that, you know, just cliche... White savior mentality. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, and just, oh, that lady's nice to me, so now I'm going to change as a person. I-, I was really pleased how this movie went. Debbie had been seeing Denver in her dreams. And then she begins the the process of creating a relationship with him and her family. Kinnear's character—he's not big on it—and this is where I thought this movie did a really good job. He was really comfortable working at the homeless shelter, but he didn't want that brought home. You know, a lot of times in these movies, it's just—you know—they have that one spark of they feel good working at the homeless shelter, and then it's just all in. I thought they did a really good job of of portraying that. If anybody has ever seen The Shack, it kind of reminded me of that. It had it had a, it had that tempo and that and that feel. I really like this movie. I like these types of movies. It's got a great cast. You know, you got two Oscar winners, you uh, know, and Voigt, and then two Oscar nominees in Kinnear and Huntsu. There's a huge gap. Fan rating on this is 86 and the critic is 40. And I get that gap hundred percent. You know, I, I think the critics are looking at that movie and rightfully so saying, hey, you know what? I've seen this movie a thousand times. And then conversely, people went to see this movie because they loved the book. And then it, it just kind of groundswelled from there. So I'm going to side on the fans in this one and, and say I really enjoyed this movie. And this movie would be drastically better on the second viewing of it. Because one of the things that is tough in this movie is Hunsu's portrayal of Denver Moore It's an odd accent, and he's hard to understand sometimes. But then at the end of the movie, we see an actual clip of the real Denver Moore talking.
2: Sounds a lot like him.
1: It clicks. It immediately clicks. and You are like, you know, I wish they'd have started with that and said, hey, this is is who you're about to learn. And that was my only, you know, criticism of the movie.
2: I'm not going to give it as high as you did. I probably live in the 50-55 range because it's a true story. It redeemed itself in ways for me. If it wasn't a true story, I would be down in the 40 range, personally. I just felt it was extremely corny.
1: Yeah, it's got some corny moments in there. The thing that I liked about the corny moments, though, is they were really isolated with Zellweger and Kinnear. Yeah. And I felt I felt like that was a really small part of the story.
2: Although it it's focused heavily on Jaiman and Kinnear and their back and forth, well, and Renee Zellweger, I felt like they finished on the tone of John Boyd and Kinnear, this father-son relationship. Like, that's that's the last point they wanted to make, that we all need to let bygones be bygones and love, who, love our family no matter how ridiculously idiotic they can be. So between 2018-2019, he was an Aquaman and a bunch of CGI, and he was in the 2019 classic, Serenity, as Duke. Now, I have a feeling we're going to have some opinions on this one. In
0: fairness to the movie, I knew of the twist, of the absurd twist, uh, prior to watching this. And so, I'm watching this movie knowing that that's coming. And I was still shocked by how jarring the twist was, and when it occurred, and how little plot development took place prior to that. This movie came across to me like whoever the you know writer of it is had the idea and wrote it down in like a cocktail nap and was like, isn't this a cool idea? And the production company the next day was like, yeah, we should film that tomorrow. Like there's none of the characters are like fleshed out. The storyline's not fleshed out. Like if you were to hear the entire plot, you'd be like, oh, that's kind of cool. And then when you see the movie, you're like, no, it's not. Like it could have been. It's terrible.
2: And there's some good actors in there too. I mean,
4: it's very good. Actor. If you told me there was a movie with this cast. And you would have been like, you can bet whether or not it's going to be plus, like, over 50 on the rating. I I would have bet the house with this Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. The top six build are incredible. I remember uh, I knew How how Did This Get Made was talking about it. And I listened to the first five minutes of the episode. I was like, shit, I got to go watch this movie. And I watched it. I was just absolutely baffled. Just completely floored with how dumb. That, like you said, James, somebody was like, "Oh yeah, this sounds like a great idea." It's just like Jesus,
0: like it could have been. It could have been, but if you know, you you made a movie about it. You didn't make a movie about it. You just like filmed what people think is a movie, and there's no like character development, but it's on purpose, I guess. Like, it's not that smart. When the movie ended, I genuinely asked myself, like, what was the point of Diane Lane's character? Like, was she just... Someone for Matthew McConaughey to have sex with?
2: Guys, the concept has balls. Like I it's either? a ballsy premise, but it is so batshit that by the end you're just like, no, no, and it's justifiably rated low. Was this a M. Night Shyamalan project? Like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> Even M. Night probably saw this and was like, wow, that twist sucks. <laughs> 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 that, that's saying a lot. Dude,
4: so. just look at Matthew McConaughey's character name. His, his name was Baker Dill.
0: <laughs> How <laughs> dumb is that? <laughs> no one's ever been named that, ever.
2: So the largest critic app was supposed to be Captain Marvel. It said twenty nineteen. 2019. Uh, very small role, but again, it, it's like Gemma Chan, you know, doing some other crossover projects on that one so just in the past year and a half he's been in two other projects one he was in shazam's the wizard which is a pretty pivotal role for that story and i think shazam overall was received pretty well yeah i like shazam a lot
0: it's a again a superhero i've never heard of and so having an origin story like uh that i thought super fascinating was cool to see and it was the first like good dc movie uh that had come out in a while i think it was like that and. Wonder Woman were the only two that had some critical success.
2: I think Diamond does the wizard pretty well. Um, mm-hmm. does, yeah. it, does it justice, right? That's, that's what yeah, I'm the searching fish. for. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, like the fish. Yeah.
1: James, you brought it up earlier during trivia, and, and I know, Warren, you're big on superhero movies. What, is he one of the biggest actors that's in both franchises?
0: No, I, so I looked it up. There's actually a ton that are in both franchises. The biggest one's Ben Affleck. Uh, we got... Batman and Daredevil.
4: Oh yeah, Uh, Halle Berry, Josh Brolin. Yeah, most of them are in shit dick
2: movies. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why that made me laugh as much as it did. Thank you, Warren. And he was in the remake of Charlie's Angels in 2019. Rigby, do you have some top performances for us? I was able to track down
3: a list. uh, It's a shorter list this time. Um, Like this. So it's six performances from the film magazine. It's an article from 2015. The ones we just talked about, the last five or so, aren't included in this, but I probably think they would be included in away if I'm being honest, just from his filmography.
2: All the way to Furious 7, essentially.
3: Three of them are honorable mentions. So see if you want to guess those. So what of his six performances that are career-defining, guess which three are honorable mentions before we get to the top three?
2: Never Back Down. No? <laughs>
3: Gladiator. Gladiator is an honorable mention. Uh, Constantine? Nope. Biker Boys. One of the films listed is one that we reviewed tonight. Serenity? Nope. (laughs) Special Forces? I don't know. No. Amistad? Nope. Guardians? Guardians of the Galaxy? Yes. In there. Oh, nice. There was one more honorable mention, and I think we shit on it earlier. (laughs) Did, huh? Uh, The Island? The Island, yes. Classic Michael Bay.
0: He's
2: de- he's decent in that, man. So the top three are definitely Amistad, In America, and Blood Diamond, we're going to guess. See if you can guess the
3: order of those. Amistad's got to be one. Uh, no, Amistad is number three. No, what Blood is oh, wow. Blood Diamond? Blood Diamond, number one. Blood Diamond, number one. Yeah, okay. that's great. Okay. And okay. In America is number two. Based off his Oscar nominations, I think that's a really good list. I mean, yeah. yeah, That makes
2: sense. You get the Golden Globe for Amistad. Those would be the top. Well, let's get into some months and meter ratings. If you're a first-time listener, the way we do this is we rate them on a scale of 1 to 100 based on a number of factors. We look at their longevity, how long they've been in the game. We evaluate their pop culture impacts. Are they a household name? We look at their range as an actor. Are they a character actor? Are they You know, fill a number of different types of roles. We look at their awards impact. We evaluate if they have any other talents. Um, Do they sing, produce, direct, speak other languages, whatever those things happen to be? We evaluate them on their personal life, whether they're a great person or a huge piece of shit. So we'll go ahead and get started with Rigby.
3: There's a lot of movies that I've seen of him that I didn't either. I either didn't remember his character very well and I had to rewatch and then his performance really struck, really stood out to me or I just wasn't able to watch some of the movies that we mentioned tonight. For some of the movies that we mentioned tonight, The Serenities, The Island, um, those are movies I haven't seen, and for what it sounds like, I'm kind of glad I haven't seen, because those are are movies that are not really uh, looked very well upon. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe he's only the second person that we've covered that has two Oscar nominations. Is that right? I think it's him and Lithgow. I
2: think think
3: that's correct, yes. Unless Watanabe has has two. I can't recall that. No, he only have one. That is a huge thing in itself. Where he came from, on the streets of France, um, as a homeless guy who was discovered can speak five languages. I think he's incredibly talented. The thing about this podcast is we review a lot of actors that I don't think really have good range. Mm-hmm. And I probably wouldn't have said that if I hadn't watched In America. So I was fortunate enough to watch In America and I think his range was surpassed what I expected it for sure. So with that being said, I'm going to give him a 78 and that is, I think a fair score for him because he doesn't really have a big filmography. I just wish he would have been in a little bit more movies from the last like 10 years or so that I could comment on. So that's the only thing keeping me from giving him an uh, above an 80
0: All right,
1: case. Yeah, I agree with Rigby. He's got an interesting range uh, for me when I'm watching his movies because he's in most roles, he, he's kind of playing the that real tough and stoic character, but yet he's got a really good ability to kind of melt the tension with this out of nowhere smile or laugh or grin. And um, I, I always enjoy almost every movie I've seen him in, and and that's one of my favorite things to to evaluate on on actors. I, I like any actor that's come from a really tough beginning, and 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 grinded out a a really big career about themselves a couple of things that that i'm you know i'm going to be critical of in evaluating him is is he hasn't had any really successful movies where he was the leading man and he was he was he was the guy he was the main Uh he was the main character i would like to see him be the driving force behind a good movie in the lead role and then the other thing you know while i love his ability to you know, to be that tough guy who, you know, who just out of the blue, you know, melts the, the tension with a smile. I just, I see him in so many roles where he's the same character. And, and I'd like to see that again. And I think that goes into being a leading man. I'd, I'd like to see that branched out a little bit, but uh, I'm going to give him a, a 67.
2: You guys hit on a few things. I will say this. I think he's a bona fide supporting action star. You put him in an action series as a supporting actor, he's going to immediately upgrade your project. He's He's got those kind of chops. His background's impressive. He was the eighth black actor to receive an Oscar nom. so he's a, he's a jet setter in ways. He seems like a pretty good dude with some of his humanitarian work, climate change activist. Um, I'm going to give him a little bit of a knock that he married Russell Simmons' ex-wife, uh, and that was <laughs> a lot of... Uh, they split and had a he was dealing with a bunch of a negative TMZ type press i don't think he has the pop culture impact he could and part of, part of that is just because of how complicated his name is and people when you mention him they're like oh yeah i like him but they're most people can't pronounce his name and that mm-hmm. that sucks but it you know kind of is what it is i was surprised to hear his star meter was higher than i probably thought it was but he's a good actor but to the point, Elephant White is the one I would point out where he was the lead, and it was a very uninspiring performance. I, I stopped paying attention many times, and a lot of it was because of he wasn't captivating. So with all that said, I'm going to give him a 69. Nice. Nice. Warren?
4: I'm going to go against what Kyle said with the bona fide action star. I actually think his best roles are in more of that drama, so more of the In America and In Amistad, where is more of a character driven because he's got that range of emotion. Like you guys are saying and, and like blood diamond, he was like that grounding f- force in a mm-hmm. action film. And so I think that's, I think that's where he's most needed. I think if this was 2009 and we were doing this, he would have like a star meter out the ass. He would be, yep. let's see. He's, oh, I yeah. couldn't believe, I couldn't believe how old he was. He's like 52. 56, and so he, fifty-six. So he would have been forty-five in two thousand nine with two Oscar noms and all these awesome movies under his belt. We would have just said, like, man, the sky's the limit. He hadn't done any fucking shit bombs at this time. Whatever <laughs> suck bombs, whatever cases, uh whatever he said. The bomber's uh, Yeah, <laughs> Hadn't done any of those yet. And so I think what something clicked. You know, he had enough clout at that time where they could just throw his name in there. And I think that they were just kind of like throwing his name in these movies. And before you knew it, Idris Elba had passed him. He had come on the scene and became that guy. Like, I, I honestly believe that in, like, the, the Marvel Universe, if Idris Elba's not around, you got Heimdall is being played by Jaiman Hansu, a much more notable role he probably has stuff in you know Fast and Furious and more of those roles and more of those movies than just you know, his role in number seven. I really think he he's he could come up with something pretty awesome on, in the future, but he isn't that lead role like everybody's saying. I, I completely agree with that, but half, half the people that we've done haven't really been leading role either. That's true. You really have mm-hmm. to have those people. Hey, Allison Janney, she's an incredible example of that. You know, supporting actress that just yeah. she absolutely kills it. So I hope I hope something comes around. I hope something clicks uh, and some upcoming stuff because he's a fascinating person. You know, his his accent and everything is, you know, captivating. And uh, so I'm gonna give him uh, I'm gonna give him a seventy, uh, just because I'm still kind of holding out a little bit on the future. And I really think the early part in his career. If it weren't for watching Amistad, I'd probably be considerably lower, but I think I enjoyed that so much. Uh, I'm going to have to give him a 70.
2: James, round us out, man.
0: Kyle, you mentioned it about uh, him being, what was it, one of eight black actors to ever be nominated for?
2: At the time. Uh, at he the was the eighth at the time.
0: So he's actually also one of four um, actors of African descent of the continent to ever receive an Oscar nomination. The only one who's ever been nominated twice, so that's a big feather in the cap. Been in the game for twenty years. Uh, I agree, he's tapered off recently. And Warren, I think to a point about what happened around like the two thousand nine time, that is around the time that he had his son. So he has a ten year old son, and so taking time off to you know throw your name in a couple blockbusters here and there while you're raising your kid is not something I'm going to knock him for. Right? Like, sure, life happens. He's been in. Blockbusters, but also really successful dramas. So, Warren, I totally agree with you there as well. I think that is his strength is in dramas. I'm excited to see him potentially get back into that. But the thing that I give him the highest score for is he's just a genuinely good dude, and he's got an inspiring life story. So, when he was at the Mm -hmm. peak of his fame after being nominated for two Academy Awards, he used that fame to, you know, put his name on causes he believes in. Like Kyle mentioned, like climate change fighting extreme poverty in Africa. He also uh, spoke to Congress and was one of the driving forces that actually approved $150 million in additional funding for runaway and homeless youth programs in uh, the U.S. And that was in 2009. So like at his peak, he was using that for good. And that's something mm. I could always respect. I do agree with you guys, though. He, does, he hasn't had many leading roles and he hasn't uh, taken home many of those awards. So he was nominated. Other than that, I think he's the man, and I swear to God, I did not change the score. Uh, I am going to give him a
2: 78. All right, Warren, what what kind of average are we looking at?
4: That gives Jamin Hansu a 72.4, which puts him at fifth. Uh, He is behind Ken Watanabe and ahead of Chris Pratt.
2: All right, Warren, tell us a little bit about his upcoming projects.
4: There's some stuff pushed back coming out this year. So we had him in Quiet Place Part 2. And the King's Man, so part three of the King's uh movies, which is actually like a prequel to the entire thing. Um, and then he's doing the voice for Korath in a Marvel TV, animated TV series, What If?, and then doing another voice, so more of that voice work. Blazing Samurai. Uh, another animated movie is supposed to come out in 2021, which is taking kind of a fun spin on Blazing Saddles somehow. So out of here. We'll right, see what right. happens. Wow. Yeah. wow. That's, a, that's, a, that's a tricky that. movie to release these yeah. yeah. days. In 2020. And it is uh, Samuel Jackson, Ricky Gervais, Michael Cera, Mel Brooks, Jim okay. and George, right. George Takei. So I have a lot more excitement for it then. I hope they hit all the same jokes that they did back in like 72 when blazing saddles came out yeah that'll land land really well
2: yeah the internet will blow up immediately (laughs) all righty so we've got some actors for consideration on the next episode the five we're looking at that we will put on the wheel are james spader rooney mara natasha leon ed harris and anthony mackie what are our thoughts?
4: Anyone but Natasha Leone.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I think Ed Harris is the star of that
0: group, but I'd be happy with any of the others.
3: I agree. I don't really want to do Natasha Leone just because I don't really know a lot of her film roles. If I'm being honest,
2: not trying to watch American Pie and American Pie Two. She's done a lot of TV wow. work.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah,
2: I love Russian Doll, but that's. You know, we don't really do orange that, is the so. new black. Yeah. We've got a couple Marvel actors on there, and Spader and Mackey. Rooney Mara
4: would be. Mara would be pretty good. Watch Carol.
2: And- Carol's yeah. great. I love Carol. Ghost Story. She's good in that. I love Side Effects too.
4: That's a great movie. Yeah, Side Effects tripped me out. Social Network and uh, Girl with the yep. Dragon
2: Tattoo. Yeah, she's been in a lot of good projects. I'd be cool with all of them. Anthony Mackey'd be fun. He's got some some older projects you could Watch Eight Mile. I was gonna say, give me a yeah. chance to watch Eight Mile. Yeah, he's in the hate. The hate you give. We will spin the wheel, uh, and as always, the wheel will decide. Wheel decides. So our next podcast is going to hit on July second. Our guest is going to be Corey Wallace. She, so she works full time uh, in the design world. She works in new business development, rhyme and reason design. Uh, she's worked in higher ed for a number of years. She's this big movie nerd. She'll be excited to get on here and chop it up and talk talk an actor, whoever that actor happens to be. So as we wrap this thing up, um, as always you can find us on Twitter at Munson's at Movies. You can catch us on Instagram at Munson's at the Movies. You can find us on email at Munson's at the Movies at gmail.com. As always we love to see you interacting with our posts online, trivia we've been popping more daily Instagram trivia questions about actors if you can name the roles. They're we tend to create them to be pretty difficult because, um, you know, you could say uh is, is his character in Guardians of the Galaxy, but that's a gimme. So we're going to dig into some deep cuts. Any final thoughts? I
0: have to say, I am impressed. I would very much like to know the name of the man who is causing me so much trouble.
2: The Munsons? Who? Oh, come on, man. You know, the Munsons. Munsons out.
3: All right, let's go. Thank you for the education, gentlemen. We've just received a Ph.D. in stupidity. Doctor, shall we?